Let's pray and we'll look into God's word this morning. So God, we believe, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the old ancient creeds says he's the Lord and the giver of life. And so Holy Spirit, we believe in you and we believe that uh, any, any understanding of scripture um, is only, only brings us life if you're involved. So as we read and talk about words on a page, um, we want them to be more than just words on a page that go through our eyesight and through our brains. We want to have our hearts penetrated by what you want us to know, what you want us to see, what you want us to learn. And uh, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, fill in the blank. I don't know what to do about blank. And I'm asking you in terms of things in your own life. Like, I don't know what to do about this. I mean, we have the simple things like, I don't know what to do when my check engine light's on, or I don't know what to do about um, cutting the grass when I'm out of gas. I mean, those are, I'm talking about, I don't know what to do about, and the blank is something like some relationship issues I'm trying to figure out. Or I don't know what to do about my future. I might need to be changing careers. I don't know. I may need to retire soon. Or I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Or I don't know what to do about my financial realities because two plus two isn't adding up to four anymore. And, or I don't know what to do about some of the health issues I'm facing. But I, So all those examples, which I want them to be, are examples of things that I don't know what to do about that. And maybe it's a marriage issue, of children issue, parent issue, whatever. But when, if you dwell on it long enough, typically, if you're human, that question or I don't that statement is all, is often hounded by anxieties, fears, and doubts. All right, because you're like I, I don't know what to do about that. And if you think about it long enough. Because you think about all the options, I could do this, I could do this, I don't know what to do. Um, anxiety, doubts, and fears tend to attach onto you, especially if you're laying awake at night and you're having the question, I don't know what to do about that. This reality faced me, this situation, this relational issue, this financial issue. Um, I mean, if you're human and you breathe, you've had this question before. I don't know what to do, or this statement, you made this statement, I don't know what to do about this. I mean, I have, whether it's money issues, there's times I actually think, God, God what, I don't know what to do about Exodus. What do we do next? What do, we, what do you want from us? But it's like, I don't know what to do about, and we have those things in our lives, and they're not easy solutions, and like I said, they're followed often by anxiety, fear, doubts. So uh, I finished the sermon series last week on boldness. And so, and uh, a couple weeks from now, I want to start one for Advent, um, and I'll tell you about that when I do it. But today's like a standalone. So usually when I have a standalone, I, and I honestly do, I try to I ask God, what do you want? What do, you, what, what, what do I need to hear? What do people at Exodus need to hear? And I often go back to some sermons I may have done in the past that I've kind of, I, can, I redo it and retool it. It's kind of like I go into my greatest hits album. And try to find, I mean, from my point of view, my greatest hits. <laughs> every pastor has one. They would, they would deny it, but every pastor has a set. Of, but, and I have a number that, I've, that have been part of Exodus. 
But this one especially kind of it was impressed upon me this week, and I think just as much for me as this is for some of you. And so we're going to go way back to the Old Testament. And uh, King Jehoshaphat, I don't know how you pronounce it. I've heard so many different pronouncements. Some people say Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. It's just a fun name to say when I was a kid because you think he must have been fat, but we don't know that. But King Jehoshaphat, all right? Now let me give you the context of where he was because otherwise I'm just throwing you a little puzzle piece of a Bible story and you don't know where it fits. So, so Bible t- timeline, all right? Creation, Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, all of a sudden we find out about Abraham. God, he's, God said, you're my chosen people. He has sons, they have sons. And then all of a sudden, and God's promised Abraham, you're going to have, you're going to bless the world through you. Abraham has sons and sons and sons, and somehow they end up, uh, if you remember, Joseph is part of that lineage. Joseph gets sent to Egypt. God's people get stuck in Egypt for 400 years. They become slaves in Egypt. And then uh, God is going to rescue them, because that's what God does, and it becomes a central part of the Old Testament story. He, through Moses, he rescues his people that started back there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Started with, rescues his people, and they come back to the promised land. They come back to modern-day Israel, all right? So here they are. They have, they have judges ruling over them. That's the book of Judges, kind of like, you know, government things. But then the people say, we want a king. So God gives them Saul as the king, even though God said, you really don't need one, but since you're demanding of it, I'll give you one. And then that's where David, King David, comes in place, and King Solomon, all right? So Solomon is ruling over Israel. The kingdom gets divided because Solomon does some stupid things, disobeys God. One of his sons takes the northern part, which is called Israel. One of his sons takes the southern part. And then there's a period if you, if you sometimes if you can't sleep, you might want to read Kings and Chronicles because it kind of gets kind of blah, 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 blah. But there's a period of a number of kings that rule over the northern part of Israel, which is modern Israel, which is called Israel in the Bible, and the southern part, which was called Judah, all right? So uh, there's a bunch of kings in here, and there's a 500-year period, all right? After that, they get sent into exile to Babylon. They eventually come back, and then somewhere down the line, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and all the things shattered about him through all this timeline has come into being. But we're going to Look at a period of time where there's a 500-year period of time where the kingdom was divided. So this is after David and Solomon. This is before they get sent to Babylon in exile. And there's a 500-year period. There's 20 kings in the southern half of Judah, and one of the kings' name is Jehoshaphat. And if you've read any of those books from Kings or Chronicles, they, some of the kings are good kings, some are bad kings. It'll say such such was a good king, such such was an evil king. And usually the evil kings are the ones who let the idols stand and let all this other uh, idolatry, worshiping other gods, be a part of it. The good kings are the ones who, and Jehoshaphat was one of them, they knocked down the idols called Asherah poles. Most people think there was some kind of sexual symbol to that. They knocked down the idols, they burn up, they burn the altars to other gods. So the good kings focus people on one god, all right? Jehoshaphat was one of those good kings. His dad was Asa, A-S-A. And we'll talk about, I mention that name now because I'm going to mention him in a second. But here we're focused on Jehoshaphat, all right? He was a good king. So now, go to the next slide. So I'll give you, 
So, this just, so there was the northern half was called Israel when they got split. The southern half, which included Jerusalem, was called Judah. Most of Kings and Chronicles are about the kings from Judah. That's kind of the focus of which Jehoshaphat was one. All right? So I'm just kind of giving that sense there. Jerusalem's in the southern half. Um, so here we are with Jehoshaphat. All right? And it's one of these stories that I don't know if I ever heard it until maybe 20 years ago. I, I know I heard it. I never thought about it. So here's the situation. Jehoshaphat, and this is in Second Chronicles 20. Second, first and Second Chronicles. Chronicles is kind of like a historical record. The book has gone by different names because whoever wrote it didn't name it. Most of the books of the Bible weren't named by the writer. Those are names somebody in history has eventually given them. But Chronicles are chronicling the events of the kings and the events of what God did during those periods. All right, so 2 Chronicles 20 starts, leave this up here right now. So this is about 860 B.C., a long time ago. And I put the date up there because I want us to kind of understand this is real history. This isn't like Greek mythology. This really happened, all right, real people, real human beings, all right. 2 Chronicles 20 starts this way. After this, and it just to describe some things happened in Jehoshaphat's reign, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Ammonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Those are the countries over this whole here. That's where they were from, all right? Just kind of the other Arabs and things like that. They declare war on Jehoshaphat. That's just what people did then, I suppose. And Jehoshaphat is told, a vast army from Edom is marching against you. All right, so I have a vast army marching against them. All right, and this is one thing that just kind of I noticed this week. I hadn't noticed before. I had say there's a there's a body of water here, and I'll get to the rest of this. There's a body of water here called the Dead Sea. I thought the vast army was amassed on this side of the Dead Sea, so when Jehoshaphat's told about it, he can be like, "Okay, they're coming, but we have a little time till they cross the water." The Bible says actually, though, they were already across the water. They're already there, vast army. We don't know exactly how many, but we know Jehoshaphat had a million in his army, and he was scared with this army. So it was more than a million. So think about your biggest battles in Lord of the Rings, and you think about that, all right? So a vast army. Now go to the next. This is what he's told. A vast army is marching against you. And again, maybe you have to think about Lord of the Rings or other movies like that. But you could see, and you could understand, and maybe you could even feel, the fear that Jehoshaphat must have been fearing. Even though he had a million plus, he had 1,100,000. Uh, 1, he had a bunch of soldiers. So this army coming at him must have been huge for him to be fe fearful. The Bible tells us he was terrified. All right, so he had a strong army. But this massive army's coming against them, and he's already afraid because they're literally kind of next door. They're on their way. So he's terrified. says he was terrified by the news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. And he also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Because fasting was their way, and it's still a modern-day way, where you want to clear your head, clear your stomach, clear your heart so you can hear from God. So it said, Jehoshaphat then stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem. So there must have been 
thousands in front of him, maybe a million or so, who knows, in front of the new court of the temple of the Lord, and he prayed. So this, this, I'll call it a situation that was causing terror and fear in his heart as well as the people. So Jehoshaphat, he was a good king. He prayed. He gathers people together. He prays. Oh, Lord God. He said he stood before the community of Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple, and he prayed, O oh Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God of heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Our God, do you, did you not drive out those who lived in the land? And then he says, and then we know that whenever we're faced with calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to you. And we can cry out to you, and you save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Same is true today. Whenever we're in a tight situation where we don't know what to do, Jesus said we can cry out to him. The Bible says we can cry out to God. We can ask for divine help. So he keeps on in the prayer, and he says, now see what these armies are doing. He's saying this to God in front of everybody else. You would not let our ancestors invade them so that we went around them and didn't destroy them. Now look what they're doing to us. So God didn't want those nations destroyed, but now they're kind of getting back at the Israelites for doing nothing, really. If they have come to throw, out, throw us out of your land, which you gave us as inheritance, oh God, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack. I'm powerless against this anxious anxiety and fear that's about to attack me because of these situations in my life. I don't know what to do. But this is how he ends the prayer. This is my favorite part of this prayer, one of my favorite short prayers in the Bible. He says this, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Now, granted, he probably said it. He probably was yelling because there's all these people who are listening, but we don't know what to do. He's the king. You're the king, man. You better figure out what to do. I mean, you got a million soldiers. Figure out what to do. But he says, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Now, why, this is important for a couple of reasons because if you knew his, I'll give you some of the context here. His dad was Asa. Asa was the king. There was a time in Asa's reign where another country came against him, and it was like a million against 500,000. Asa was scared to death, of course, said he cried out to God, and God rescued them. They, they won the battle. So Asa cried out to God. Then another time, though, when an army was coming against his dad, King Asa, Asa didn't cry out to God. He instead got gold and silver out of the temple tried to build an alliance with another foreign country, why don't you help me? In other words, tried to solve the problem by looking by human means. So he didn't cry out to God. He actually tried to do it himself. Like, we're all good at that, solving our problems by ourselves. He tried to, he sold the gold, made an alliance, and then was basically told by God, you're, you're not going to win this battle now because you didn't look to me. So, Jehoshaphat would have known that about his dad. His dad did one time, did it really good, cried out to God another time, I'm going to handle this on my own. Didn't even ask God. So Jehoshaphat is smart to follow the good example of his father, not the, the one that destroyed him. But he says, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. So what does God do? I mean, Asa 
I mean, Jehoshaphat had been a really good king. He had gotten rid of idols and things like he had sent people around the country to teach people the God's word. And so doesn't God owe it to him to do something like now and change things? And, but Jehoshaphat doesn't, he doesn't try to bank on God. He doesn't try to say, you owe us. He's just like, no, we don't have to do. We don't know what to do in this situation, but we're looking to you for help. And then it said, as they're standing there, the Spirit of the Lord comes on one man. The man's name was uh, Jehite. I always get the name wrong because it's kind of one of these names that's funny to pronounce. Jehaziel. So let's just call him Jehaz. All right. I don't know. I'll shorten his name. That would have been my nickname for him if I knew him. Hey, Jehaz. So his Spirit comes on him and he believes God's told him what to say. In modern day, or even New Testament, but even modern, it's kind of a, a word of knowledge, a spirit of prophecy. So he says, I think I know what God wants us to do. And so they give him a chance to speak. And he says this, he says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Joshua. He's talking to the king, listen, listen. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Well, it's easier for you to say. I mean, we have an army coming against. What do you mean, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged? I've seen my bank account balance. I know the relational troubles I'm dealing with. I know my anxiety about future career and things like that. What do you mean, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged? Of course I'm going to be afraid and discouraged, but we're told not to. He says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Then he says this. This this is, again, Jahaz saying what the Lord has told him to tell people. He says, here's what you do. You march out against this big army. You take your positions. And then you stand still and watch. I'm thinking there may have been at least one person in this crowd of millions of, millions of people from Judah thinking, stand still and watch. We should be doing something. Let's, we need to be manufacturing more weapons, need to get more people. But he says, no, this is what God's told me to tell you. March out against them. Take your positions. They have their weapons and everything. But then stand still and watch. I mean, the other times in the Bible where God actually told military commanders, like David one time, he told David, go around this way and get them from the backside and you'll win the battle. He told Gideon things. There are other ways that God told people to kind of win battles when they were outnumbered. But now God's telling them, get ready. Get your, get your weapons out, but then stand still and watch. Well, I, I didn't finish the sentence. It's stand still and watch what the Lord will do. Right? Stand still and watch the Lord. So it's kind of this, what I would call an active standing still. I'm going to stand still and watch and see what God does. And then he says, tomorrow, march out against them. So this is today, and he says, tomorrow, march out, take your positions, stand still. So they believed it was from God, and you'd have to believe there might have been some people like, I don't know about this strategy. I mean, especially if I'm a soldier. We're going to go out there with our weapons, and we're probably outnumbered vastly, and we're not, we, don't, we have no strategy. The strategy is stand still. I mean, we've got to be doing something. That's how we solve problems. We take matters in our own hands. No, stand still. Stand still and watch. (laughs) 
The next part where it becomes, I think, interesting, it says early, leave it on this slide right now. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. So they're going out there to take the position, stand still and watch. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And this next verse is one of these verses that kind of like, what? After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him. Go to the next one. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm in the choir. Why are we going out in front of the army? Do we have weapons? No. Do we have shields? No. What are, what are we doing? What is, why are we going out in front of the army when the million plus other armies out there? Because you're going to sing. We didn't practice this in choir practice. Why are we singing? But that's what Jehoshaphat knew God wanted them to do. So the choir, who knows how big the choir was, but the singers assemble. They get in front of the troops, and they start marching toward the enemy, singing. And what they're singing is, we, we read part of it in the very early psalm, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to the cynical me, if I'm out there, if I'm a soldier, I'm just like, this is kind of weird. They're going to get slaughtered. If I'm a choir member, I'm, I'm making sure my will is ready, already written up, right? I'm like, why? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Well, this is the way you're going to solve this problem, God? Singing? And there's a, years ago, my wife heard somebody give a talk, and one of their statements was, not all obedience makes sense. Sometimes God will ask you to do something that in your or my human understanding or rationality, this doesn't make any sense. And actually, if you read through the Bible, you'd probably have multiple dozens and dozens of times where God told people to do something, and at that moment, they probably likely said, that doesn't make any sense. How's that going to work? Because they, like we, think about human dynamics dynamics of, well, I know how money works. I know how relationships work. If I do that, God, that won't happen. If I do this, I know how future and career works. I know if I do that, if I do this, and I quit this job and do that, then I know how things work, God, and that's not how things work. But God's like, no, do it. Do what I told you to do. So he sends the singers out there first. They're singing, you know, give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love endures forever. If you're the other army, you're probably, I don't know how close they were, but they're probably thinking, what, in the, what are they doing? There's a, there's a marching band coming at us. All right? But then this is what the scripture tells us next. At the very moment they begin to sing and give praise, so the very moment they start singing, this is what happens. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, they were the ones aligned to kind of win, they started fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed uh, that army, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as they could see, not one of the enemy escaped. But I, it's just this sense of at the moment they started to sing... And there's other times in the Old Testament where it says, 
when somebody finally obeyed God, when they told him to do something, like even Gideon had, they had like torches and trumpets, you know, 30 people against thousands. And he told me, and at that moment, it said the Lord caused the enemy to go into confusion. The Lord caused confusion. The Lord's changed events. And the catalyst of the change was singing in this case. And it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, there's, were these magical words? No. Was it magic? No. Well, when you're singing praise to God, especially with he's told them to, you're basically aligning yourselves in complete congruence with reality because God is the one in charge of the world. He's the king, right? He's the king. So when we worship, when they're worshiping, it's, it's a, I am getting aligned with what is real. I'm in sync with what is real. I've tuned my actions so I'm completely in tune with what is real. And what is real is God is in control. What is real is God can be trusted. What is real is that God will always take care of you. What is real is that Lord is my shepherd. I always have all that I need. That's what's real. Those are true promises. They're not just nice poems that we put on postcards. It's real. That he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's real. So when we sing, when we worship, we're aligning ourselves with reality. And we, we become one with reality and reality being God. Reality is not a person. I'm talking about God. The reality of the invisible world where God is active, the Holy Spirit is active, and Jesus is active in our lives. So God sends them into confusion. I, I will say this too. I, 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 often, I haven't said this for a while. But pay attention to even the thoughts that you have when you're involved in musical worship, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or you're singing in your car. Because when you're aligning yourself with reality, there become, there's like this, you're opening communication with God. So if you're singing, you're worshiping in your car, in your home, or with here, and you have this random thought, and you're like, wow, that, especially if the thought has something to do with forgiving somebody, something God's asking you to do, something that you maybe have thought about, but you haven't thought about that way, just pay attention. Leave, leave, at least ask God, is that from you? Because that thought came to me when I was worshiping. It's not magic. It's just when, you, when we worship, we open up this channel to God. And it sounds, I'm not trying to sound new age, but we open up because op, we're in line with reality. So God speaks to us when we're aligned with reality. So there's, and there's, so I, <clears throat> Christianity, I know I've said this before, Christianity is not a moral religion. It's not a political religion. It's not a behavioral religion. It is a supernatural religion. If you take the supernatural out of Christianity, then we're simply a, a moralistic group of people who try to do good deeds every day, all right? But you put the supernatural in Christianity and in your lives, everyday lives, then we believe that the supernatural interacts with our lives because the Holy Spirit's in us, the Bible tells us. He's in us. And there's supernatural things happening behind the curtain of the real world, of the physical world. So one of the statements of Exodus, one of our value statements is we believe the visible world, invisible world, is just as real as the visible world. And we are going to try hard and work hard to live in both those realities. It's easy to live in the physical world. 
I gotta pay my bills, I gotta deal with people, I gotta deal with health issues, I gotta figure out what I'm doing with my next job. That's easy, not easy, but we know how to do that. But if I'm gonna live in this world, the real world, and do all those things, at the same time acknowledge that we live in an, what I'll just call an ambidextrous world. We, both, are, both are real to you. We live in a real world where you have to pay bills and deal with money and deal with people and people problems, but we also live in a world where we have a clear access to the Holy Spirit who tells us things, gives us guidance, maybe gives us insight, gives us strength that we didn't know we had. So that's what's happening here when they're saying, the moment they sing, God does something and the enemy's put into confusion and they didn't have to raise a spear and they win the battle. So, Jump, I'm going to jump to the New Testament, and then I'm going to come back to you and me. Because Jesus says, go to the next slide. I think I have the next one here. No, go, go to the next one. Sorry. Skip to the red one. Sorry. I'm, I'm taking my, I'm doing my. So Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd, that he walks ahead of us, and he leads us. He leads us, like Psalm 23, to peaceful pastures. Even in the presence of our enemies, Psalm 23 talks about that. Even in the presence of negative circumstances, the shepherd's with us. And Jesus said, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to walk ahead of you into that issue, into that war issue, financial issue, future issue. Um, and they're going to follow. We follow him because we know his voice. So we're not on our own. We don't have to navigate our own. Jesus is going before us, and we follow him because we hear his voice. I mean, so in a sense, that's what Jehoshaphat did. They heard the voice of God through the prophet, Jehoshaphat, and this is what we're supposed to do. We're going to do it. All right. Now go back to the I don't know what to do. All right. So I want you to think about the I don't know what to do about issue, that one of the ones you've thought about. Could, like I said, it could be a financial issue you're wrestling with. What do I do with my future? Do I change jobs? Do I think about retirement? Do I think about having more kids or whatever? You, I mean, not Kathy and I, but, you know, some. But what do I do? What do I do with this people problem I have, whether it's my marriage, my kids? I'm, I'm feeling some angst, anxiety about these issues. So what's, what's an issue for you that can't easily then be attacked by anxiety, fear, confusion, and doubt? In Jehoshaphat's case, he was terrified. All right? I want you to kind of plant that in your mind. Plant that in the blank and plant that in your mind. But I also want you to go to the next, go, now add the other, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that every time you have a problem, just sing and it'll go away, because it won't, the problem doesn't go away. God shows you the next step. So, financial, relational, health, future, there, there are times where worship and singing has a really, really important place in it. And this is not like a prescriptive. Like every time you have a problem, just sing a few songs about the goodness of God's and the problem will go away. No, the problem doesn't go away. God gives you insight as to what to do next. And the problem may not even go away in the way you want it to go away, but God will give you insight and wisdom as to what do I do next that will preserve my own peace and joy and wholeness of soul. The, the people around me, they may still be jerks to me. 
but I want to know how to walk through that. Or my financial status may be really kind of still nasty. It's not like I mean, you start singing and all of a sudden, you know, deposits start appearing in your checking account, un, un, you know, magically. But God may also, may, you might have some insight, oh, I, if I did this, oh. And you know it's God telling you what to do. Because in your own financial wisdom, you wouldn't have thought of that. All right, so it's not magic. So here's what I want to do. Aaron's going to come up and lead us. We're going to sing uh, King of Kings, all right? But I want you, as we sing this song, I want you to th- hold the issue up that you're, I don't know what to do. And just as we sing, just do your best even to listen to God while you're singing. And maybe, maybe you might have insight tomorrow, the next day. And again, it's not magic, but it is a promise of God that there's, there's actually a, a, a psalm that says uh, that you've ordained praise God, that even when children sing, you silence the enemy. Because the enemy is the one who brings doubt, fear, confusion, anxiety. That's the enemy. That's not God. So singing, and I've done this in my car at times. I had one time years ago, I had a, a tense meeting. It was uh, with somebody in the denomination I'm a part of. And they're a good person, but it was going to be a tense meeting about money. You know, because this is when he first started Exodus. And uh, they were negotiating how much they'd, they helped, the denomination helped quite a bit the first couple of years with my salary. And, you know, we had four kids. I'm kind of, three kids then. I was doing the math. And I was anxious because I thought, I don't, I got to make sure he knows what we know. I'm, you know, if you, if you know me well enough, I can get really wired up, right? But I'm driving. That time I was driving to Fort Wayne to, to meet this guy. And I was all worked up. And then I just thought, you know, I'm just going to play some worship music. And in my mind, I was imagining myself. <clears throat> I was singing over the meeting. I was imagining me with the other guy sitting in his office, and I was singing over it in my mind, because I thought, God, you have to give me wisdom even in that meeting. I don't want to say anything that's going to be selfish or greedy, but I also need to, I, but I, I don't want to get worked up if it doesn't work out in my favor. So I, so I just, I sung. And, and, and the meeting went super well. Now, did, would it have gone super well if I wouldn't have? I don't know. I just know for me, I needed, I needed alignment with reality, so when I went into that meeting, I would be aligned with the invisible world and not just the physical world. Because I knew the physical world. I knew what I needed financially. But I wanted to be aligned with the invisible world because I wanted to see what God, how God wanted me to react in those moments and not overreact, all right? So Aaron's going to lead us in this. Uh, we're going to sing King of Kings, but I want you to make sure you have this filled in your blank. You know, what is it you're anxious about? Um, maybe I said maybe a person, maybe a financial thing. So, uh, and we're going to stand. And, um, but I want you to sing over whatever that issue is you're thinking about. And maybe you imagine your, maybe you imagine the person you're thinking about. Maybe you imagine your bank account balance you're thinking about. Maybe you're looking at your resume when you're singing about this, but you're thinking about God, I'm, I'm going to sing, and I'm going to trust that you can give me wisdom. I have human wisdom. I need to be able to do that, but I need your wisdom too, all right? So uh, 